Good morning, Chapel Hill. I'm Pastor Bill. It's good to be with you here this morning. Uh, we've been really going hot and heavy here over these last six weeks, especially during this Beyond These Walls campaign. And for some of us on pastoral staff and the larger staff as well, the elders and many of the staff people, we've been focused on that campaign over the last really four months or so. So um, when the pastors got together and thought about the summer, we thought about, okay, Lord, where are you leading us? We thought we'd sort of, I don't want to say take the pedal off, you know, the foot off the pedal too much, but we thought we would kind of look into something that might be a little fun and inspirational for us this summer. And so we thought we, we landed on uh, Best Supporting Actor, uh, historic making, History-Making Disciples that you may not know that well. So we're going to be looking at the lives of Timothy and Deborah and uh, Jonathan and John Mark and some people in the Bible that you may not have heard that much about. First person up to bat this morning is a guy named Jonathan. How many of you have heard of Jonathan in the Bible? Quite a few, quite a few. Jonathan was the eldest son of King Saul, and he was the chief advocate of King David, which put him in a really awkward spot. If you like Old Testament drama, and you're into reading very savory stories, you don't want to miss the love-hate triangle that existed between David and King Saul and Saul's son, Jonathan. It's, uh, it's an incredible story. And in fact, I, I would say it may not be out of the realm of possibility to say that if it were not for Jonathan's friendship and his protection of his friend David, David may not have become king. I'll leave that up for you to decide as, this morning. All right, first thing we're going to do is take a look at a passage of Scripture that really summarizes well this relationship between David and Jonathan. Hear the word of the Lord. When David had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's home. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and he gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. This is the word of the Lord. Father, today would you make this... uh, historically famous friendship real to us today in our lives. This relationship between David and Jonathan, this friendship, Father, in which their souls were knitted together. Father, would you speak to us today about the importance of friendship as well? In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Jonathan is, is one of the noblest characters in all of Scripture. It says in 1 Samuel that Jonathan loved David as his own soul. Jonathan placed his friendship with David above even his own loyalty to his father, King Saul. And Jonathan was willing to give the throne to his friend, King David. As best supporting actor, he chose to give the lead role to David so that he could be king. Now, how in the world did David and Jonathan become such incredible friends who were bonded at the soul. They had soul ties with each other. Just a little bit of background here. 
Saul was Israel's first king, and he was anointed king by the prophet Samuel. He was the people's choice to be king. Saul was head and shoulders above all the rest, literally, and he was ruggedly handsome. The people thought he would be a fantastic leader. The problem was that Saul had an incurable uh, problem, and that was his insecurity. And his insecurity as a leader, as leadership uh, tension mounted, uh, cost him in his leadership ability, and at many points he disobeyed God in his leadership. In 1 Samuel 15, uh, God commanded Saul to completely annihilate the Amalekites. The Amalekites were descendants of Esau, and uh, they were a nomadic tribe, a violent nomadic tribe. And when the people of Israel came into the promised land, uh, the Amalekites were constantly attacking and killing the Israelites. In fact, they were known as people that took great pleasure in killing Finally, after many years of this, the Lord had had enough of the pagan practices of the Amalekites and their ferocious killing, and God commanded King Saul to completely wipe out the Amalekites and everything that they owned. When Saul failed to kill the Amalekite king and wipe out all of the animals, including the very best animals within the herd of the Amalekites, it says in 1 Samuel that God regretted having made Saul the king. And it says that the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. After a period of time, the Lord sent Samuel to go and to anoint David as king. David was a man who was of a different spirit, a different attitude than Saul. Some of you know this, this famous passage in the Bible in 1 Samuel 16, in which, Saul, in which the Lord speaks to Samuel about the character of King David. He says... The Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. David was anointed king by Samuel, but he did not actually become king for many, many years. Saul remained in that role as king and, in fact, was a fairly effective king, relatively effective, in that he had many military campaigns that were successful over the Philistines. And, um, but nonetheless, it says that the Spirit of God departed from Saul and God sent a spirit to torment the king. Saul's servants recommended that Saul uh, have a gifted musician come into his home that could play for the king and soothe his erratic spirit whenever that, that, that tormenting spirit came upon Saul. And so... The household of Saul recommended David. This is probably where David and Jonathan got to know each other. And undoubtedly, Jonathan and his whole family and household were very appreciative of this young shepherd boy coming in and playing the lyre and soothing the spirit of their dad. But David was more than a gifted musician. He was also a fierce warrior. In 1 Samuel 17, David proved his courage and bravery by killing the giant Philistine Goliath. David became an instant celebrity who was adorned by all of Israel. Jonathan was so impressed by David's ability, not only as a musician, but as a warrior, it says that his soul was knitted to David. They became of, of one soul with him. He made a covenant with David, 
And Jonathan covenanted that he would be David's champion until the end of his life. He took off his robe and he gave David his robe and he gave him his whole panoply of armor, signifying that Jonathan was willing to allow David to be king because uh, Jonathan recognized the anointing that was upon David to be king. It was an amazing thing. Ellis, I don't know if he's here right now or not, but it would be like kind of Prince Edward saying to his best friend, I'm willing to abdicate my future kingship so that you can be king. I mean, we can't even imagine. That couldn't happen. Such was the character of Jonathan. But King Saul actually initially loved having David in his household too because whenever he would send David out on a military campaign, David always came back victorious over the Philistines. And the women would come out from the cities and they would sing and they would dance as the troops and the army would walk by and they would say that Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his tens of thousands. And of course, when Saul heard that, that had enraged him even more. That spirit, that jealous, tormenting spirit would come upon him. And First Samuel says that when he heard that from that point on, he kept his eye on David. Six times over the next few years, Saul tried to have David assassinated. Three times he tried to assassinate him in the palace itself. When David would be playing music, playing the lyre, sometimes Saul would pick up that javelin and hurl it across the room and try to pin David against the wall. Kind of a Greek tragedy in a lot of ways. But Jonathan remained faithful to David. He remained David's champion. And when Saul brought Jonathan in and his servants and he said to them, I want you to go out and I want you to kill David. Jonathan said to his father, he said, why would you want to kill David? He struck down Goliath and he worked a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it and you rejoiced. Why then would you want to spill David's blood? And On that particular occasion, Saul relented. He listened to his son, Jonathan, and he brought David back into his household. Unfortunately, Saul's grace toward David never lasted very long. As soon as he sent David out on another military campaign, of course, always hoping in the back of his mind that the Philistine army would kill David so that he wouldn't have to worry about it, David would always come back victorious And that seemed to enrage Saul more, and he would plan another uh, assassination attempt on David's life. Eventually, Jonathan realized that it was a losing cause trying to convince his father that David was an honorable, righteous man who could be trusted as his servant. So, what do we learn from Jonathan as a best supporting actor and one of a great history-making disciple. Well, one of the things we learn from Jonathan is that history-making disciples build close friendships with other disciples. One of my favorite uh, Proverbs is from uh, Proverbs 18.24, which says, "There there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Maybe some of you remember reading that, and that's a favorite of yours as well. 
If you were here last week, you had the opportunity to, to see the video um, of Curtis Greenfield. Curtis is the, the doctor that was standing in line here at one of our Starbucks in town, and Ellis was standing, Pastor Ellis was standing next to him, and they, they chatted up a conversation and became friends. And uh, in that video, I, what I was fascinated by was some of Curtis's reflections on his own life. He said, you know, I, I have everything going for me. He said, I, I'm a doctor. I, my practice has been very successful. I have a lovely wife and family. We had just bought a beautiful home in Gig Harbor. I had everything in life that most people would ever want. And yet, I was really lonely. I didn't feel like I had any friends. And you know, loneliness is rampant in our culture today. And especially men, I I think you need to hear, maybe this part of the message is for you too. People often feel very cut off and, and live in isolation. And what's needed is for people to have authentic, life-giving relationships. This past week, uh, I was excited to go to General Assembly in Sacramento, despite the 108-degree heat, which was uncharacteristic in Sacramento in June. But before the conference, uh, I had an opportunity to drive down to my hometown, which is Danville, about an hour and 15 minutes away from Sacramento, and visit with my longest friend, Tom. Uh, Tom and I have been friends since we were in high school together. Tom was raised in a Christian home, and he became a Christian at a young age, and I was not raised in a Christian home, and I became a Christian through the, the youth group at Danville. And uh, Tom was my really first Christian friend who walked with me and modeled for me what it meant to be a Christian, what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. And, uh, and, and I so appreciated that. And Tom and I have been friends, fast friends, ever since. Uh, we roomed together in college um, though we really have never lived together in the same community since then, we've always been by one another's side. He was in my wedding. I was in his wedding. I've done his oldest daughter's marriage ceremony. I'm, I'm getting ready to do his youngest son's wedding ceremony. Uh, we're good friends. And the reason that Tom is a friend who is closer than a brother for me is because Tom has been there. Even though we've lived all over different places, Tom has stayed in Danville this whole time. He's journeyed with me through the highs and the lows of life. And for me, it would, be, it would not be an overstatement for me to say that Tom really is one of the people in my life that really is a, uh, a primary reason, probably why I'm still in ministry after 25 or 30 years. I've appreciated his friendships. Close friendships are critical to our growth, our spiritual growth. I was fascinated by a a comment I read this past week from Eugene Peterson, who's one of the foremost experts in the whole area of spiritual formation. And he said this, it got my attention. He says, friendship is as much, is a much uh, underestimated aspect of our spirituality. He says it's every bit as significant as prayer and fasting. Now, I had never really considered putting friendship in the same category as prayer and fasting. But as I reflected on that a little bit, I can honestly say, Jenny and I could say, with all the different places that we've been in ministry, different places that we've lived, 
that it's been the Christian friendships that we've had with people in those different places that really have helped us get through kind of the highs and the lows of life. I was recently in a phone conversation with two pastors from a church called Real Life Ministries in uh, Post Falls, Idaho. Uh, some of you, most of you probably don't know of that church. It's actually a mega church in a little town. Uh, they have 8,000 members in the church. I don't know how big the town is. I think it's smaller than that. Uh, I don't know how that is. But um, they have 80% of the people in life groups. And when I was talking to one of the pastors on the phone, he said, one of the, the reason that we, we try so emphatically, we try so hard to get brand new people into life groups is because we have discovered over years of ministry that when people are not in community with one another, when they're not in Christian community with, and, and I'm talking about small group community, when they're not in that, they're more likely to get in trouble in their lives. Uh, more likely to have difficulty in their marriage. More likely to struggle with depression or addictions or different kinds of things that, that come to all of us at one time or another or our temptations. And he says that's why we work so hard to get people in life groups because people really are better together. Life is richer when you're, when you're there and encouraging one another, when you're growing together in Christ, when you're sharing one another's burdens. And that's why here at Chapel Hill, we've, we, we make it our constant message to encourage people to join a life group so that you can be part of a Christian community, a smaller Christian community than this community, and, and know that there are people that love you, that are praying for you, that know what's going on in your life. Another insight that we see from the relationship between Jonathan and David is that history-making disciples help other disciples stay on God's path. Uh, When Jonathan and David realized that there was going to be no changing of Saul's attitude toward David, David hightailed it into the wilderness. He recruited about 400 men, faithful, loyal followers of his to be a kind of a small army to protect him from Saul and his army. And he just hung out in the wilderness for months upon month, month upon month, year after year. Now, you can imagine just kind of being a camper for years and years. That might get a little bit old after a while. That's what David did. David, knowing that he was anointed king, and yet here he was running for his life from the king, and he was not becoming king. And, and yet... Jonathan's friendship, even though he didn't talk to him on a regular basis, he wasn't calling him up every week on his cell phone and say, hey, hang in there, hang in there, my, my dad's over here, you go over there. Even though he wasn't talking to him regularly, yet at one point in the relationship, Jonathan risked his life and went and he found David in the wilderness in a forest. And he went to David and he said, do not fear, for the hand of my father Saul shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows this. Now you could imagine if you were David, and you were on the run, fleeing for your life from the king and his army, and you had been doing this for a period of months, if not years, how kind of discouraged you get. And because of Jonathan's encouragement, uh, David didn't succumb to 
either the risk of abandoning his call to be king and just leaving it all to return to the simple life of tending sheep or giving into a murderous spirit of retaliation and just going outright and killing Saul. We know in the text that he had several opportunities to kill Saul and David chose not to kill the Lord's anointed. Instead, because of Samuel's encur- because of Jonathan's encouragement, David stayed steady on God's path. He didn't, he didn't try to rush the Lord's timing in his life. He waited. He was patient for the Lord to bring about circumstances so that he would become king eventually. And when he became king, he was the most famous, successful king in the history of all of Israel. So history-making disciples help other disciples stay on God's path. This is why you need to be in a group, a small group, with other committed followers of Jesus. So you stay on God's path. Thirdly, history-making disciples, they know that just as Jonathan was unconditionally committed to David, so Jesus is unconditionally committed to you as well. One of my favorite verses, and it's kind of at the end of a verse, that I come back to again and again and again over years and years of the Great Commission in which we're called to go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus says, And lo, I am with you always until the end of the age. Brothers and sisters, there are many times in life when you will be lonely, but you will never be alone. Jesus promises never to leave us or forsake us. And sometimes when I'm feeling alone, I have this little exercise, mental exercise that I do when I'm having my quiet time. I'll sometimes imagine that Jesus is sitting there in the chair across from me. Imagine that he's there. Somebody once gave me a, a little um, figurine that had, uh, has a picture of a, a figurine of a pastor with Jesus sitting next to him. And the pastor's kind of sitting down. It's kind of looking like this. And Jesus is just talking to him. And, and I have that mental picture in my mind. So sometimes when I'm feeling alone, I imagine that image because I know that I'm not alone. Jesus is with me. We all need friendships. Now, the crazy thing about a place like Gig Harbor is that there are so many people around here that look like they're doing extraordinarily well. Their life looks so put together. From the outside, you wouldn't guess that they could be extraordinarily lonely and feel like Curtis admitted that they're without friends. But Honestly, and this is where I'm especially talking to the men here in our audience. Because men and women too, in our culture where women are working full time. But men devote themselves to making a living, making successful career for support the family. And we drive, we drive, we drive until we get what we think is going to bring us happiness And fulfill the American dream. And then we get to this place where everything looks really good on the outside. We seem to have it all. And yet we're really empty on the inside. And you know that 
years ago, that spurned Mother Teresa when she visited the United States. She, vers- she, she, she made the comment, you know, America seems to have it all t- together. They look so wealthy, but they're so spiritually bankrupt. I mean, that's a cutting comment. And yet, there's that, that truth, that reality continues to live on today because we have so many factors pressing in on our lives to, to make us a certain way or to appear, appear a certain way or to, to be successful. And it's often at the cost of real friendships. So I know this morning that there are some of you here and you have so many friendships, especially probably the women, you're having a hard time just keeping up the friend, with the friends that you have. And for, for those of you that are in that that camp, I want to suggest to you that you need to kind of, um, I'm not saying, you know, put these, some of these friends aside, but, but be willing, would you be willing to make yourself available to somebody that God would bring into your life who needs a friend? I would say this of the men and the women. And I would say for the men that would have the courage to go up on the screen and give a similar testimony to what Curtis just said to us, that I seem to have my life all together, but if the truth be told, I was pretty lonely, and I didn't have a lot of male friendships. If you're in that boat, would you, and for men, this takes a lot of courage because we don't want to expose our, our vulnerability, that we might be lonely or we might need a friend, would you pick up that phone and call someone, call a guy that you know, that you think's a pretty good guy, and say, hey, let's, let's go to lunch? Or call the church or go to that website on the church and look for a life group with men in it and say, okay, it's time. I know I've put this off for a long time. It's time for me to join a group of men who know the Lord, that will help me in my own growth with Christ. This is kind of one of those lessons that really, it's probably a very appropriate Father's Day lesson that was last week, but this is, this is a really important lesson, especially for the men, because men, we, we are, by the forces that are at work around us, uh, we, want, we want the world to think that we are okay, we've got it all together, I'm fine, when in reality that's not always the case. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this amazing relationship between David and Jonathan. We thank you for their covenant with one another, that Jonathan was willing to give up the throne for David, and he covenanted to protect him, to be his friend when his dad was after him, wanting to kill him. And yet Jonathan recognized the Lord's anointing upon him. Father, in heaven, we live in such a different day today, and things look very beautiful around us. We're, we're in a, we live in a lovely land. We live in a gorgeous place. And on a day like today, we say there's no more beautiful place than Gig Harbor, Washington. And yet, Lord, we'd be foolish to think that everyone here is friendship-full, Lord, I pray today that if there's anyone here today that's feeling lonely and needing friendship, that they would have courage to call up 
a friend or to connect with a life group here at church and join that group and say, hey guys, I really need this. I need your encouragement in my life. I need friendship. I need accountability. I need support. And Father, for those that are sitting here today and their quiver is full, they have so many friends, they don't know what to do with them all. They have a hard time just keeping, keeping uh, track of all of them and getting together with them. Lord, would you give a lot of folks that are in that place, would you give them the space in their life, the margin, the heart, to reach out to the person that they know and that they can see in their life, Lord, that needs a friend. Thank you, Lord, for that great insight from Eugene Peterson, that friendship is one of the most underestimated uh, spiritual habits, disciplines that we can embark on to make us strong believers in you. Father, speak to our heart today, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.